Welcome back to the Better Ben, Better Ball Player Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. I want to thank you for joining us here on our 88th episode of the podcast where we get a chance to talk to Veronica Alvarez. Coach Alvarez is the USA Baseball Women's National Team coach. She's been at the helm since 2019. In 2019, they were the team of the year as well as she was the coach of the year in USA Baseball for her work. Um, she's also been part of the 12U Baseball ID Series Task Force Trial Staff. She was also an assistant coach for the USA Women's National Team before taking over in 2019. She was the first woman to be named the USA Baseball Coach of the Year. She played with the USA as a national team catcher well, when they finished uh, in 2015 when the Pan American Games was voted USA Baseball's Team of the Year that year as well. She was part of the first gold medal. And in 2019 and 2020, she also serves as the Oakland Athletics Minor League Baseball Spring Training. She was helping out there. She was on staff. And this, most recently, she was the Oakland A's roving catching instructor for minor league baseball. That's what she did previously in 2021, along with her USA Baseball women's national team duties. Let's get a chance to talk to just a number of things with Coach Alvarez. Uh, of course, she's got a very high background in catching, so we talk a good bit of catching. We talk about her program, talk about the women's national team. More about it for just people who just need to know it, just need to help grow the game. So we get into a lot of those things, and she helps clarify a lot of stuff and how we can keep growing the game, the great game of baseball that it is. And... But uh, to talk about one knee down, she's got plenty of opinions about one knee down. What does it mean to frame, block, and throw as a catcher? Techniques. Get some drills. Yeah, we just had a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun with it and talked a lot of baseball for over an hour and a half. And uh, so it was a really great conversation. Really enjoyed it. And uh, Coach Alvarez, I can't thank you enough. Just like I can't thank those guys, Will Minor and the guys at Netting Pros, for making this podcast happen. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specialize in the design, fabrication, installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, scoreboards, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting professionals continue to provide quality products and services to many recreation, high school and college fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Contact Will Meyer. Contact the guys Netting Pros at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. So thanks so much for being part of that Netting Pros family chat. Now, and again, so Coach Alvarez... USA Baseball, Oakland Athletics, dives into a ton of stuff. My notes, pretty long. Um, and just, I love how she talks about her joint. She's just got great, great information about some catching, and we had a lot of fun with it. So um, here she is. Enjoy it. Have a lot of fun with USA Baseball Women's National Team Head Coach, Veronica Alvarez. 
in the past, we were kind of limited to um, our opportunities to find girls that played baseball and less social media was, you know, there was less of social media to find them too and to get the word out. Um, our, our The opportunities for girls within the game to play with other girls were limited. Um, and through the years, we've just been growing them. So it's been wonderful. Uh, Major League Baseball has invested into growing the game at the girls level as well. So I just came back from an MLB camp for girls baseball. Uh, high school age girls, it was called the MLB Breakthrough Series. Um, high level selection, it had to be selected and invited to go to the event. Um, 32 players. And it was just high, you know, a lot of repetition, big on development, um, and just getting better at this game, right? So they can compete at a high level amongst other girls, and they can compete at a high level when they're playing with their uh, boys' teams, because most of them play on boys' teams for the most part. So, um, yeah, through the years, we've been able to add all these events on, so we've been able to identify players earlier on. The MLB camp, one, there's a MLB camp called the Trailblazer Series, and that's for like 10, 11, 12-year-olds. So the first one was in 20, um, 2017. And so therefore I have, I had a girl on my team that was 10 years old that I've been able to follow and see her develop for four years now. So it's uh, wonderful to be able to see that and kind of keep up with them, um, stay connected, keep a relationship going just so that when they get to the point where they could try out for the women's team or participate in a USA baseball event, um, they know what I'm about. I know more about where they're about and maybe we're kind of on the same page. So if you think about it, it's almost like these girls camps uh, on the MLB side and the, and the USA baseball side um, are almost like a minor de league development per se. Uh, we're trying to give them the same message at all levels so that when they get to the highest level, it's not something new and it's not something that they haven't heard before. So um allowing for the transition into playing on the women's national team to be a little bit smoother. And then some of them, hopefully they get the opportunity to showcase their, their, their abilities and their um, knowledge of the game at a higher level away from the women's game too. So some of them want to play collegiate baseball. So we're hoping that we get them prepared for that. So that is that what you mean? I guess that's what my question was like, when you say the highest level, so is the highest level them trying to play college baseball or is the highest level like where you were playing the Pan Am games? It depends how you look at it, right? The mm -hmm. technically in women's baseball, the highest level is the women's national team. Um, but we want more opportunities for them, whether it's amongst girls, which would be the ideal setting. They all love playing with other girls, right? They love playing girls baseball with other girls because then they're just playing baseball. They're not the girl playing baseball. Right. On the boys team, they're the girl on the field, uh, but on the girls team, they're just baseball players. So at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters to them is that they're treated like baseball players. So they definitely feel more comfortable on the girls side. Uh, but the opportunities lie on the boys side. So they have to do that uh, in order to stay involved in the game. Right. Getting the right amount of work to able to move on to the next level. So there isn't girls or women's collegiate baseball and uh, they want to play baseball. So if that means they have to try to play on the guy's side, that's what they're trying to do. So it just depends where their goals are. Uh, but most of their goals, the girls that want to play collegiate baseball, their other side goal is to play on the women's national team. Sure. Yeah, I was it. They both probably go hand in hand. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. No, I think. Well, I appreciate that. That was just good. I just, I just, um, you know, loving to see how 
And even like, so what is the best way to, for people that might need to just know how to get involved? Yeah, at, at usabaseball.com has a lot of information. There's a tab there for the women's national team. You could send an email and kind of just get on their mailing list uh, for future events. Major League Baseball, same thing, MLB.com, MLB Develops has a lot on Instagram, okay. on the site. Um, they, you'll, you'll, there is going to be an email there as well that you send out and it's going to, I mean, I could find it by the end of this podcast and give it to you. So if you wanted to add it in, but there's an email that you would send in. And then again, you get onto the database uh, for, for future girls baseball events. And then Instagram, right? My Instagram or USA Baseball's Instagram. Um, but, but uh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Just, uh, just more. I just want to be able to basically build the program up and keep growing the game. So that's it's important. For sure. Just, to, just to let everybody know and clarify all those things, you know. Yeah, it's it's really incredible to me that there are still girls that don't know that other girls play baseball, even with social media, like. Yep. There's so much information out there and it still blows my mind when we get, a. we just had one. We had a, a girl at this high school baseball event. She's a really good player. And she, this is a first, she came out of nowhere. This is the first time we saw her. It was crazy to think that, you know, she would have potentially been at one of the girls, the women's national team events that we just, we had just had one like four weeks ago in Orlando. So somebody like that, if she would have known sooner or whatnot, you know, had heard something, you know, informative, then she would have had a, another, an additional opportunity to, to get better at the game. Yeah, for sure. And that's why, like, I just, even, even for me to be able to speak on it and things like that, I think the more people that get to know it can speak on it. And, you know, even guys, guys are fathers and, you know, being their daughters are running around the, you know, coaches' daughters are running around the field just like the sons are. Yes. <laughs> you know, so it's definitely, definitely something that's, that is with, uh, a certain people so it's just it's just good to know i think it's great to For know sure. so i mean it was uh, i just wanted to make sure that we definitely touched on that and i think like i said the more we can grow the game it's better yeah um awesome awesome so uh like what are so was would you say that's like one of the biggest challenges is just like that like just being able to find uh find girls um what would you say were like your biggest challenges as you continue to grow the women's program our biggest challenge is definitely that in people's minds, women play softball and men play baseball. The separation in the U.S., really, mostly in the U.S., everyone's so like brainwashed into thinking girls play softball, men, boys play baseball. So much so that I will be holding a baseball on a baseball field, wearing a baseball uniform and still be asked if I play where I play softball. Mm. OK, I was standing next to. At this last 12U event I was at, I was um, standing next to one of the USA Baseball. Uh, fa- uh, he works within USA Baseball, but he comes to events and he coaches at them as well. Collegiate coach, all these uh, lots of accolades and a lot of a big back, uh, background in baseball. But standing next to him, he had been at my women's event. Um, and the umpire comes up to me. I'm on a field with baseball players on a baseball field in a baseball uniform. I, I don't know what else. I was coaching first base the entire time. I don't know what else I could do differently. The umpire comes up to me and says, so what do you do? And I said, I am the manager for the women's national team. And I start like for the USA baseball women's national team. I give the whole, cause I know they need to hear it. I, the whole lineup. And uh, he's pretty much like cuts me off. And he says, do you know Kat Osterman? <laughs> do, you, I, do you know Kat Osterman? I, I mean, I'm, yeah. I don't even know if you know, but so he goes, do you Softball know Kat player. Osterman? Yeah. And I said, 
No, because I coach baseball. And then he just goes on this whole tangent about softball. And so he walks away and uh, Jim, the guy standing next to me, he just goes, I go, I literally haven't touched, like been a part of softball for 16 years. Mm. For 16 years, I have not been associated with the game of softball. And prior to that, if we add all my baseball experience, it's like, I don't even know, 32 to eight kind of thing, you know, like, or not 32 because I'm not that old, but it would be, let's see, 16 plus, it would be like 22 to eight. Uh And still people are, are, are stuck on that. So I think that's our biggest, and I mean, I could line up the women's national team and each one of you could tell you 10 stories that goes along those lines. So it's just constant. And I heard it as a player and I, I know I'll forever hear it, but at the end of the day, I am willing to <laughs> give the information because I want the, the game to grow. So if I just was mean about it or whatever, then that doesn't do anything. So I'll repeat myself a million times. But the point is that everyone's so um, it's kind of set in their ways thinking that the girls play base, uh, softball and boys play baseball, that it doesn't allow for girls to get the opportunities. Right. So I, again, have met, heard many times that the girl wanted she she went to the baseball field to go to a tryout and she was pulled off the field and said, no, 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 you got to go to that field. That's where the girls go. And it's softball. And at that point in your development, you're like, oh, OK, I didn't know that. Right. They're like, Maybe in the back of your mind, like, but I want to play there. But you don't have, you know, the maturity to say that. Mm-hmm. And so then you kind of just get derailed to this other bat and ball sport. And nothing against it, right? I had a great career in softball. It brought, I got to college. I met great people. I went to Spain and played softball. But it's a different sport at the end of the day. So all we want is that separation for it to allow for more opportunities to exist. Mm. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, like, it's, it's, such, it's such a big challenge to, like, so do you find it that girls have the same kind of I, I guess uh, like story as you had like where they had to play they had to play softball but they've always loved baseball or are you getting into more where people are actually being accepted where they could play baseball on like their high school team? Yeah, we have a mix. So I played baseball till I was about ten, and then fast fit. I grew up in Miami, Florida, and fast pitch softball was taken off. And so I always say that fast pitch softball pulled me in more than mm-hmm. baseball kicking me out. I was doing very well on the boys' side. I was you know, striking them out and, and hitting bombs. But, but I, you know, the fast pitch softball world wanted more experienced players. So they grabbed me and then I kind of just changed all my goals. Like every little girl that plays baseball wanted to be in major league baseball player. Right. And so when I kind of took on softball, my, my goals just changed into being in line with softball, but um, uh, we have a mix of stories. So we have some like mine and then we have girls that never switched to softball. They played through high school and then um some played in college and some took opportunities within fast pitch softball to get a collegiate so- uh, scholarship so our shortstop on the women's national team jade gortars she didn't touch a softball till she was a senior and she she got a full ride to texas right so mm-hmm. she's an exceptional athlete but um same thing with our other one of our outfielders kelsey whitmore she didn't touch a softball got a full ride and went to uh, Cal Fullerton. So um, we then the ones that just switched in college, uh, the some that played a couple years in of collegiate baseball and then left it. So there's a big mix or the ones that just were always trained by baseball coaches, but always played softball. 
And then later in their careers, like our second baseman, Alex Hugo, who played at Georgia. She's a big name in the softball world. Um, she didn't ever play baseball, but she played softball like a baseball player. Um, <laughs> so she was a, a good transition. And when she heard about our team and came tried out, she's, I mean, she had a heck of a year in 2019. So there's a now mix we, of stories. Yeah. When you say like that, like when you played base, you played softball like a baseball player. What what do you mean by that? You could tell, man. You could yeah. see a baseball player. You, it's just different hands. It's just different, right? Again, it's not taking away. Softball is a great sport. Great athletes play it. It's just a different style. Swings are different, right? I don't think they should be different, but they are, right? Okay. So yeah, that's what okay. I was going. That's what I was going. Like just to see, like where 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 you sit there, like because because like you said. She was taught by baseball coaches, you know what I mean? So you make a difference. So what is the difference there? Like, why, why is that? So do you, and is that, I guess your experience probably plays well, where you, you knew what people had been saying, I guess the type, the type of swing. And then I guess you, you try to coach that out of them, or do you see things changing? We don't take softball players. <laughs> we don't, I mean, like you don't survive. If you're a softball player with a typical softball swing, Uh-huh. Or softball style, you don't survive in the baseball field. Like it, it just doesn't cross over. Yeah. So the ones that we cross over that are able to make the adjustment are the ones who had typically baseball style swings and fielding uh, mechanics, and then they made an adjustment. But it's hard for me to put into words. But you know, if you see it, you know what I'm talking about. You know, being a baseball guy, you see it. Yep. And so there's certain differences in swings. Again, I don't think there should be a difference in the swing, but for some reason there are because people teach it that way. Uh, same thing. I don't feel like there should be differences in mechanics, but people teach it differently. And so there's just like a different, um, I don't know. It's a different look completely. Yeah. I, I find it very interesting too, uh, of, of why the swing is different. Remember that's Mary back in shoot, I guess over 20 years ago now in high school, like, even college that just the follow-through of a, of a softball swing i'm like i just never was like why why would you do that like you're hitting a I ball don't like i don't i don't i don't get that at all like uh you know i, I mean so i i guess another question for you like just it's it's just it's a super great topic because i do i see you guys um playing it different but just how do you man I was thinking, because maybe is it because of softball? There's so much of the short game. Now, did did you bring that over to you, like with your bait, like you running the national team? Like, do you still have a pretty big small ball mentality? Do you still slap it? Do you still like to slap it and things like that, or is it just totally? Your is it different playing baseball? No, man, we just play baseball, but we play situational baseball. So I say we play old school baseball. Okay, right, the girls' game. Um, is very mimics very much the older baseball game where um, we have girls that hit it out. Our, our second baseman, Alex Hugo, hits it out. Our right fielder hits it out. Our left fielder hits it out. We have multiple girls that can hit it out at a, a standard professional baseball stadium. But that's not our game. Our game is to, to get them on, get them over, get them in, right? And so if, sure, if they come up in a situation and they hit a home run, that's that's what they're going to do. But if they're put in a situation where we need to move a runner, those same home run hitters are capable of moving a runner uh, in an efficient way, not necessarily just swinging for the fences. So, yes, we still play small ball, but we don't play small ball like in softball. 
Um, we play it like old school baseball. And then the other thing is, yes, I think some of the mechanical stuff in softball has adapted itself because of the short distance between the field. There's less time. It's more reactionary. Um, so I think hitters are more up in front on their front side because of it, uh, because there's less time for the reaction of it. I think throwers cut their, their arm slots short, right? They're doing some short arm throw that I, whatever, I don't understand. But but they do it because of the pace of the game. And so they've grown up through it. Um, whether coaches were making them do it or not, they've made adjustments to, um, I guess, to the speed that, of the game, right? I guess what the you're saying. The it, yeah, yeah. The speed of the game and it's it's shorter. You know, you've got definitely got longer. You're playing baseball at 60, 90. I mean, it's definitely going to be a little bit longer. But it, but it, I think if you develop the arms correctly and the mechanics correctly, because I can't tell you how often I see people not being able to throw the ball with good mechanics, right, mm -hmm. at higher levels, which blows my mind again. Uh, but if we focus on the mechanical stuff, then that means we have stronger arms. So then that means that, you can go full arm slot and it's not going to take away from the, the time. You're still going to get the out. Right. So um, I, I think that sometimes in development, um, especially at the youth levels, right. We say, Oh, they're not good at this. So instead of developing that part of their game, that's weak, they just find a way to uh, work around it, which isn't, I don't think effective. Um, at, at the young levels, I think develop the side that's weak and then don't work around it, right? Go right towards it. So you're ready to play at a high level too. You know, I think that's, the, yeah. like, you have a bigger mindset where you're like, I'm trying to get you to this highest level, not just be successful kind of where you're right at, here. you know, you got it. It might, you might not be successful today, but we're trying to get you to with the highest level, exactly. so which means let's develop this, which, you know, it's more long-term than it is short-term. Right, which is hard, right? It's hard for to Absolutely. do that as a player. It's hard for parents, In this right? Society. To see that. Oh my gosh. And and like especially if you're like a you know private lessons person, right? Uh parents that are paying money, right? They want immediate results. So it's hard to accept that your child or you as a player might go backwards before you go forward. But that's part of development, right? We gotta tear things down before we can rebuild at times. And sometimes we don't, but there are times that we do need to do that. So I, I understand. So I understand that's very difficult. Um, and something that I, you know, I give private catching lessons and I used to give hitting lessons and then I, I didn't love it as much as I love catching lessons. And then I get the whole, I need immediate results and definitely with hitting, it's not about immediate results. So um, I just decided I'm just going to go straight catching lessons and I'm going to have fun with every single one of them. Oh, great. Yeah. The, it's a whole nother maybe topic, whole nother podcast we could do with that. I <laughs> know we could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> oh yeah. Um I, I love that. Pack your weaknesses and think more long term. Yeah, we had like I guess there's some analysis now that they like do um almost like an on base you. Have you heard of that? Yeah. And then, so they do it, they're doing it at, I guess, youth levels in some places. And I heard a story that some 12 year old, right. The, the coach told him that he had uh, bad flexibility in his hips. So they changed his mechanics to work around it instead of he's 12, like, instead of like developing his flexibility or getting him uh, stronger in the areas that he was weak. 
mm-hmm. which like I, I can't even believe that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, I don't understand how we do that to a twelve-year-old, right? Instead of just giving them a stretch routine or running them through one, and then and then making them capable of doing what you want them to do, All right? Or fixing it to let him, like you said, though he he might not be very successful right away, but you're just being patient, you know, with that and understanding that his career is more important than this right. season. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. Um, so getting into a couple of those pit, those let's we can get into some catching stuff then. Let's we can do that. Like, oh yeah, because I, I I don't know yeah. I don't know. B Mad told you, but I could talk about catching for a long time. Okay, because right. <laughs> like it's such you know the one knee down stance is a lot right now. You know that's a big thing. Uh, even the matter of when you prioritize maybe the three the three parts of catching, uh, framing, blocking, and throwing. Um, you know, that's a big topic right now. And I, I love the thing that I got to read. I read a blog, driveline, put out a blog about that. And, um, just kind of like where the priorities are. And, and I love being able to quantify things too. Like, just kind of like, how do you, um, you know, what is your take on the one knee stance? What are your take on, you know, the importance of between blocking, framing and throwing? All right. That's a lot. That's a lot. We could roll I feel down. like Ace Ventura. We can roll down the whole <laughs> rabbit hole here. So I feel like but, Ace Ventura in the scene where he needs to take a deep breath to reveal <laughs> the truth. Well, let's just go like let's just go like one right. knee down. Like let's just go one knee right, down. One like, knee down. Let's your whole take on the stances. Right. Let's just go to the, right, the stances. Right. Your takes. All right. I think one knee down has gotten out of control. Okay. <laughs> I think one knee down has a purpose, and if you're doing it, things. If you're going to, I like when things are logical. I like when things make sense, right? If something doesn't make sense, don't do it. You should, probably shouldn't be doing it. Right? I want things to, um, I want I want the players to understand why why it makes sense because I think if you understand why and and how it makes sense, then you're most likely more likely to continue doing it. If you don't understand why you're doing something, then you might fall away from doing it, and then you're like, man, I don't really need to do that, right? But if you know the purpose, you're like, no, 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 I need to do this in order for I need to do A for B to work, or right? I need to do A and B for C to work. So um, I, I think knee down has gotten out of control, like I said. I think the pro guys, they can get away with it. Their pitchers hit their spots. They're more accurate. I think there's a time to do it and a time not to do it. Um, I am not a fan of doing it with runners on base. I just think it, it really, like, locks us in and makes us less adjustable, and we need to capitalize on adjustability. Um, but at the youth levels, a knee down, like when I tell, when I have 15 catchers in front of me at the youth level and I say, everyone get into your primary stance and 12 of them go one knee down. I don't even, my heart goes, Oh no. Right. Like, (laughs) right. So then I go, okay, let's not go one knee down, go to your reg, like a regular primary stance where you don't have any knees down. And like nine of those 12 can't do it. How are we skipping steps here? Like we need to walk before we run. Like they need to be able to have right. Receiving is all about our feet, all about our stance, all about our setup our shoulders. So if, they need to be able to get comfortable in their normal primary stance and know how to receive a ball and be adjust, have the adjustability of being able to um, make adjustments based on pitch location. If they're locking themselves in with one knee down and they're with a 12-year-old pitcher who rarely hits the spot for a strike, right? Now he can't, he can't frame a pitch that was just slightly out of the zone or out of 
where he thought it was going to be because now he's locked in. I mean, I could get on the floor. Like, I, I like to, like, demonstrate this stuff because I think it's so telling when you see it. But when you go think left knee down, all his weight or her weight is on her right side or their right side, mm-hmm. right? For the most part, the way that they usually yeah. go, right? So now a pitch glove side, they're kind of locked in over here because everything's on this right side. So they can't adjust to a pitch on the inside corner or wherever glove side that wasn't supposed to be glove side. Right, they're they're good here. They're fine here. Boom, boom, boom. But the moment a pitcher misses, they're kind of. It seems it's too. It'll create too much movement, and therefore the umpire will not get give you the strike. I don't know. I I'm not a fan of it for the youth levels. I like to teach it to an advanced catcher at the youth levels, but I want them to do it in appropriate moments. I want them to have a purpose behind doing it. I want whether I want my pitcher to go lower on their pitch, right? So I want to give my pitcher a, a lower target. I would probably have a conversation with my pitcher at that point. Hey, you're mit- missing two up in the zone. I'm going to go to a knee to change your perspective. So that maybe you start going lower in the zone. I think I like that reason. Yeah, I got Right? Um, or, right, a low pitch. My pitcher is pitching low, and I want to be able to frame pitches lower in the zone. So maybe I'm having difficulty doing that from, you know, two knees up. So I will go potentially to one knee down. But two strikes on a hitter, base runners on base, I'm not a fan of it. I don't mm-hmm. care if you're in that other right, left knee up, right knee down, angled. I could do the proper footwork to second base. I think that's, again, locks you in. Now you're not a good blocker, right? Because now I think blocking is important. When we're in, when nobody's on base and there are less than two strikes on the hitter, our main priority is receiving the ball. Right. So blocking doesn't matter. Throwing doesn't matter. Blocking's extra credit at that point. So my feet, my setup has to be uh, done in a way that's going to make me the best receiver possible. So I need to be balanced. I need to be have the adjustability. I need to be ready for anything. When somebody's on base or there are two strikes on the batter, now I can give up on receiving a little bit. Right. I want to be a good blocker. I want to have good feet to second base. So if I go knee down, I kind of take away the good blocker part. I'm not as, uh, um, I don't have as good of range either. Sure, you can block the perfect ball down the middle, right? But the ones that are going to go off to the sides are going to be a little bit harder. Um, and then I think that, sure, it puts you in that kind of, I saw a video the other day, it puts you in that kind of perfect throwing position. But when are you ever that angled, right? Because then now when you take away from your receiving, which fine, we gave up a little bit, well, you don't want to give up all your receiving. And then two, you kind of give up on blocking too. So I don't know. I think it's gotten a little out of control, but I, my, I guess 10 cents at this point, cause two cents, it was like five minutes ago. My <laughs> 10 cents at this point is that uh, I would do it at a minimum amount at the youth levels. I'm, I'm talking about like high school below. Right. And, and my, I, I'm not a minor league baseball players too. The pitchers aren't that accurate. Right. So being able to, to do everything is important. Don't just be on one knee because that's where you're comfortable. That's not good. Then that means that's a strength. And then that means your normal primary stance is a weakness. And that's what we should be working on, your weakness. So I just think you should be able to do everything. You want to have basically the versatility to be able to go to one knee if, yes. you, if you need to. Like you said, if the if game presents to. itself, you know, the pitcher's pounding low in the zone and you want to kind of get under the pitch and be able to present yes. that better. Or like you said, missing up and I want to lower their perception. Right. 
but the other thing right too which which the youth catchers don't realize right like going to a knee with runners on right like okay you can block from there but what if the pitcher misses up right and the ball goes over your head like it's really hard you have to be in full ninja zone right ninja they like go from one knee down to jump up to catch this ball so like that's not setting yourself up for success we gotta be a walk back there we can't be like a low wall we can't be like the we have to be a wall, like an entire wall, not, you know. So I just think the versatility of, of being able to do everything is important. Good secondaries, obviously. Um, and then and then knowing when you're why you're doing something. The purpose behind the, right. the, the stance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, how do you buy into like where people would say, you know, because I know the argument of like you're going to. You're winning more pitches with framing then you are actually throwing somebody out, you know, or actually blind where you're actually, you're doing that more, like that's going to save, you know, let's say essentially get more outs. With framing. Yeah. And that's where I think that's a big, that's the big argument about the one knee stance, because it's going to allow me to be a better framer, which essentially is going to get more outs. One knee stance doesn't allow you necessarily allow you to be a better framer, right? Like, it locks you, like I said, it locks you into a set position. You become less less flexible, in a sense. You become less adjustable mm. because you're so locked in and low, right? You're set in this in this stance. You no longer have the the mobility of your hips, right? And not a lot of movement, but you do need a little bit of a movement to to make the adjustments on the corner pitches, right? To cut corners uh, when you're framing the ball. So, sure, getting strikes might get more batters out right in the long run but if your pitcher's struggling and there's a runner on first and that guy steals don't you think getting out of that inning with throwing somebody out is important right there sure does. right that's a game changer like that's that's a momentum changer that's everything so um it like being able to get my pitchers back in that sense that's important too right obviously again like i said primary main job get strikes keep strike strikes make ball strikes in secondary, I got to give up a little bit on that just in case, right? We get somebody out on the bases, back pick somebody, whatever the case may be, block a ball that doesn't let a runner advance. That's going to help my pitcher out mentally, uh, not just physically, right? It sucks to be a pitcher on the mound and the catcher keeps missing balls because he can't block it because he locked it on one knee. I'd be pissed as a pitcher, Oh yeah. right? We got to think about our pitcher's mental capacity because they're crazy, right? Our pitchers are crazy. <laughs> and I say that in a loving way because I'm always attending to them as a catcher, but they're special cats. And um, so I want to keep my pitcher in a good mental space as well. So if I could do that by throwing somebody out, if I could do that by blocking something, then I want to be able to do that. So I need to set myself up to be able to do that. To do that. I, I think that's a skill in and of itself. You think about the fourth skill, like maybe look at the sixth tool is how do you keep the, how do you keep the pitchers? in that good mental state. How do, you, how, how do you control the staff? Yeah, that's so important. And, and the, like, for me, I, I feel like since I was a catcher, I have, I've been building that my entire life. So now as a manager, I'm able to do that. I feel like that's one of my strengths as a manager is like reading the momentum of the game and feeling the energy in it. And how do we change it to our advantage? Um, but as a catcher, that's so important. And I don't know if I sound crazy when I say that, but energy is so important, right? Like, and I feel really? it. Like, I feel the energy in players. I feel the energy in the game and how it's going to change uh, potentially to 
the outcome of it or the outcome of the inning or whatnot. So as a catcher, we have to be so aware of the momentum of the game, when to call timeout, right? When to break up the momentum or when to keep the momentum going. So I tell catchers, young catchers, especially like if a pitcher is working well, fast, we got to make sure we keep them working fast, right? We get them the ball back quickly. We don't drop ball. We don't like linger. We don't lob it back to them. A pitcher that works fast wants that ball back. They want to get back on the mound. So we got to keep them moving. A pitcher that's moving fast, and maybe sometimes they do work well fast, but today they're not working well fast. We need to slow them up. So whether that's one time calling timeout, fine, or just like coming out in front of home, calling for two outs, right? Kind of slowing the game down by milliseconds, seconds, just to change the pace of it for that pitcher. Maybe in that extra second you took, um, you know, so not asking the umpire something or whatnot, that pitcher took a deep breath and now he recalibrated and he reset his, his mental game. So uh, finding a way to be in touch with the feeling of the game is so important for a catcher. And a catcher that could do that well is a huge asset to a manager and a huge asset to a pitching staff. So um, that's definitely a, another skill that catchers present with. For sure. Love it. Um, I was, so I was wondering, I love how you got in a couple of those details. I was wondering, even just like as a manager, you know, thinking about that, you know, you're managing, you know, the national team playing in some big events. And so how do you, what kind of things do you like to do when you're feeling the game get out of control or when you're feeling like that we need to speed it up, we need to slow it down? You know, what are some things that you like to do with the team? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a big, like I said, a big energy person. So I want my, my team to, to stay energized. Like I, uh, I, I'm big on roles, right? Everyone should know their roles, whether on a team, on a staff or whatnot. I don't think, I think if we don't know our roles and we, we can't perform to the best of our abilities and whatever that may be in that, in that role. Um, so I really assign the task of my bench players. They have a role, right? And their role is to keep the energy, um, at, at a certain, like at a certain state, right? Like if, not that they're rah-rahing the entire time, but that they're keeping um, the energy positive and that they're, they're staying involved in the game so that if, per se, there is a bad inning on, the, on defense, when my defenders come in, that they're not coming into a dugout that's just, like, sitting on the bench, talking about the weekend or whatever the case may be, right? That happens, We you know, a lot of us talked about in the dugout. But we want them to be engaged to keep these defenders uh, in this kind of more positive uh, mental space so that they can now perform offensively, right? Because if they just stay in that defensive mindset that just happened in that bad inning, then it's just going to carry over to offense, which we see happen all the time. So I think that the the bench, the the coaching staff, what everyone uh, plays a huge role in that, keeping that energy uh, set correctly, right? And then, um, I mean, I'm I'm kind of just like if if an inning's getting out of control and just like a pitcher seems out, of, I'm a call time if my catcher hasn't. Um, I've been lucky to have catchers that are well-versed in that and have good feel, but the younger ones need to learn it. So I'll either tell them to go out there and just have a conversation. Um, I joked this past weekend at the girls event, I, you know, one of the catchers had a really pretty nail. So I said, go out to the pitcher and tell her your favorite nail color, right? But whatever the case may be, not to bring the the female into this <laughs> conversation, but, but that was just like, song. yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's just, uh, just not even we're not even talking anything technical it's just breaking up the momentum right yeah. giving them a moment to breathe um and so i i think it's just that right like finding places where we need to take a pause and take a breath 
or we keep working because they they need a pause and a breath, the opposing team, and uh, we can't allow them to take it. So, um, but but big big deal is the bench, right? Mm-hmm. Like the people in the dugout, whoever you're coming back into, uh, you, they're they're ready to receive you with good energy. Awesome, awesome. I was wondering, um, when you, when you could you, you like the first thing I went to my mind, you talk about you know if if my catcher hadn't already called time. So I was wondering like. What is your take on um, them calling pitches? Like, like a catcher calling during a game? Like, are you, are you with your background, of course, do you feel like you need to call a game? Or how do you how would you handle that? I love when catchers call the game. I think a catcher can be more engaged when they're calling the game. I think it's very difficult to call a game, so I'm not taking away the, the importance of it. That was one of my favorite parts about the game was getting to call the pitches as a catcher. Um, so as a manager, I don't call the pitches for um, my pitchers or the staff. I allow the catcher to do so if they're not doing it well or we could talk about it um, inning to inning. We will, right? But but we're going to be leading up into that. They're going to be calling pitches through training, through practice games, through whatnot. And then um, we're going to be working on that specifically. Why Why are we calling certain – sorry about that. Why are we calling certain pitches in certain times and whatnot and – and how we work that. But I want the catchers to have that experience. I think they can lock in on like, if they're getting signs from the dugout and to each their own. Right. But I just yep. think for development of their catcher and the brain, right. And, and them seeing the whole picture of the game, I think it's better for them to stay involved in it. If I'm call- if the coach is calling pitches or whatnot, the catcher is really just so concerned about getting the sign from the coach and giving it to the pitcher that they're not noticing uh, where the hitters standing in the box, right? What are some of the hitters' tendencies? What were their on-deck swings like? Uh, what are their practice swings like? What is the hitter's demeanor, right? All of these things go into calling pitches. What is my pitcher's demeanor? Uh, and I'm trying to, right, use my pitcher's strengths against this hitter's weaknesses for the most part is what I'm trying to do. So I got to find these weaknesses. If I'm locked into the coach on the bench giving me a sign, I can't find the weakness. And I don't think the coach can find the weakness either because they're locked into the game in other ways, right? They were locked into the the previous hitter. We don't have the ability at our level yet to have analytics, right? To have statistics uh, based off of 100 games, you know? But I still think that whether we have it or not, even, you know, I experienced the minor league level, even if we have statistics, I think it's still important for the hitter to, uh, the catcher to to, uh, call the pitches. Yeah, and even just the feel of the game, you know, a lot of times. Yeah. You know, and even just the, I think the, the philosophy of like, are you going to pitch to the hitter's tendencies or lack of or weaknesses? Or are you going to pitch to the hitter's, to the pitcher's strengths? Yeah. yeah well, we got to play with both, right? We got to, sometimes the pitcher's strengths aren't really strong that day. So, all right. We okay. Gotta, it depends we on the day. Work around for sure. it. Yeah. All right. Depends on the day yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. And again, it all depends. You know, it's all it's, <laughs> it's all day to day, which makes it great. You don't know yeah. what you're going to get. Right. Like oh. you could have a stud on the mound and today is not their day. And so we got to figure this out. All right. We got to we got to pitch the contact. That's another thing. I feel like pitchers always think they got to blow by uh, the hitter. Right. Well, that's not necessarily the case. So you just pitch the contact sometimes. And sure. Uh, doesn't always work out in our favor, but I think they overwhelm themselves with the thought, especially at the younger levels of I have to strike this per- this person out, right? It's not necessarily we need to strike them out. We just need to make them uh, take a bad swing, right? Hit the ball poorly. So how are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and it's nine versus one. Right. It's 
Nine versus one. It's not easy. Hitting it is easy, that's for sure. Oh, awesome. Awesome stuff. Very cool. Um, other catchers. Nice. Oh, man. Um, I guess part of the – I'm just thinking of more ca more catcher stuff that I just love to get into as well. My oh, I was thinking of like – Talk about like, gaming. Yeah, like I was thinking of like – um. Because I can go through like a little game that I like to play with my catchers. Like, what do you do? What do you like to do to, I guess, help? Like, let's say you've got two or three catchers and you're trying to help evaluate them or maybe create a competition between them. Like, what do you think the best? What, how, how how do you do that? Uh, like, if the skill and the lesson, well, like in competition, uh, throwing competition, like uh, target practice more, like playing horse with targets. Uh, between catchers, um, blocking competition where like the block is right, they keep the ball right close to them, that's three points. Uh, and the ball gets away from them, the points go down, and so it gets to a negative. Um, I do find sometimes I, I, I really I have certain catchers that are very competitive, and they're not locked in until it is competitive. So I have to make everything in competition. Um, so yeah, I'll do blocking practice where it's all a competition or, or whatnot. But I love the target practice. Like after practice, we'll just have a target like four targets. Uh, because without them noticing they're working on their um their accuracy, being able to just like the idea of back picking right the third the runner on second, thirds running to the bag and you're necessarily like leading the throw with the quarterback in a sense. So being able to have that control of your ball is so important. So I love horse for that reason. Now, when you like somebody would play a cat, but I'm talking about. Yeah, I like that. I, I typically um, that's a great little wrinkle there. You talk about like just filling the run. Um, uh, when you think of blocking practice, is it basically like you're like drawing like a circle on the ground, trying to keep it cl as close to them as possible? Yep. Yeah, and I just like like little half circles. Like if it goes past home or whatnot, that's a one whatever it was a little bit negative. Now we start getting negative. And obviously that's not necessarily a poorly blocked ball. It's just that we I wanted to challenge them to control it on top of it too. So once mm -hmm. we got this blocking under control, I want you to control the block. Uh, but yeah, I mean other than that like I don't know. I think you're already so competitive as an athlete. So if you're seeing somebody else do it, right? Like, I'm like, yes, honey, you got it right. I bring my cat wants to do it right too. So he's going to try a little harder, you know? So um, I think it's just, it's just like that. I love to be a hot person. Like if you see me on field, oh, this is crazy. Right? But I have always loved to be a hype person. And so um, I, I love to like build up. So I, I try to give them my energy when I'm excited about something that they're doing. Yeah, that's definitely very helpful for sure. That's awesome. Um, so I guess uh, I guess uh, just thinking about some other just ca catching stuff. Um, Want to talk about framing? I got framing for you. Oh, I love I love to talk framing. All right, yeah, let's talk framing. All right. Yeah, let's framing. do it. So framing. Um, what would you rank this like number one? Or do you rank this? I think receiving is number one. That's our number one job is to receive yeah. the ball. So we gotta be good at it. So you gotta do it every day. We gotta do it every day, receiving. Every day, and the most. So, like, what would be your favorite favorite type of receiving drill? Like, basically, what do you like to do? Like, if you could do one thing, 
What are you going to hang your hat on when it, comes to, when it comes to receiving? That you just like, man, like this is if just every day. All right. I mean, that is tough. I think it's so much, but like I, so I like a few drills here. I like that. Well, my, I especially like the donut glove. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Oh, the one with I love donut glove. It fits in there and you got to yeah, knock it yeah. out. Yeah. Right. I love donut glove um, because it really gives like pocket awareness and control. Right. So it kind of exposes some like weakness, like wrist weakness. Um, when is I it, teach receiving. Is it because like you might not be taking the glove, like taking the pocket to the ball? Yeah. So if you if the pocket, if it doesn't hit the pocket, it like reverberates in the in the glove. It doesn't yeah. sound right. So if you hit the pocket, it's like it sounds right. Right. Like okay. a well caught ball. And then also if you do this right, if you have like this weakness or if you catch it at the thumb and it's creating that. Or you just don't have strong wrists and the ball hits, it's gonna turn the glove. So the, the ball's gonna come down, you're gonna feel it. Um really, so it's the stopping drill, right? You're, you're where you're working against the force of the ball with the force of your body and stuff. So you're able to find the pocket and then have good movement to it. I teach receiving as the thumb under technique. I think that's the one that makes the most sense. I think anything other than that, it's two movements, right? If I'm the I don't even know what we want to call this, palm to face technique. Right, I have to catch the ball before I go palm to face, or whatever that. Th- I don't know what you teach, and I'm sorry if I'm going against any of your. I'm but just... yeah, thumb to the right, thumb under the ball, right, thumb, thumb to the ball. ball. I think I think you can consistently catch every pitch like that. Or you could catch a low pitch like that. You could catch an outside, inside. You could catch everything like that. So I like it that it, it's the same for everything. It's not we're not changing anything for like inside corner. I'm going to do this, and outside corner, I'm going to do that. Right, this is very consistent across the board. Um, and then the, so the, the palm to face, I think you're catching and then you have to go palm to face or right or, or here, right? That's two movements. Um, what's some of our other techniques some people are doing these days? I don't know what the other ones are, but I would say those are like top two, right? This one and thumb yeah. under. Um, and thumb under, I think we can create it to look like one movement by using all three of our joints, right? My shoulder, my elbow, my wrist. I don't only want to frame pitches or manipulate pitches by using my shoulder because now that movement is big. So I can make it look like a smaller movement or a smaller adjustment by including the hinge of my elbow to cut corners. So if before I'm going to, I'm mimicking this and I know they can't hear this on the podcast, but, or see this on the podcast, but I will try to explain it as well. But if, if I'm catching a ball and I'm a, I'm a framer just from the shoulder to get it back to the zone, it's a big motion. Yeah. But if I'm, if I'm catching the ball and I do a little bit shoulder, but with a little bit of elbow, I could catch and frame at the same time. So it seems a little bit uh, smoother, less jerky for the umpire, right? We're here to deceive the umpire. So less movement, the better. At some point, some point we got out of control. And right now we're in an out of control state where we think more movement is better. And I don't understand it. But the, everyone, like, I think there's a lack of strike zone awareness these days. The strike zone is not the center of the strike zone. The strike zone is a box, right? I see it in my brain when I'm back there. And I only have to get the ball to the edge of the box. If the ball is outside of the box, it's not a it's not a strike. So therefore, I just have to move it to the edge of the box. I feel like right now we're going outside of the box to the no. center of the box. Right? Below the box to the center of the box. So it's just like... I don't get it because I feel like it was so obvious. It, like 
the biggest thing about receiving and framing and deceiving the umpire was less movement better, right? Mm -hmm. Let's make this look as sneaky as possible. So if right now I'm moving my glove 10, you know, 10 inches. To me, that doesn't make sense. So um, I think that strike zone awareness is a big, is a big deal right now. And I see a lot of catchers that don't have it. So I think that's something that I work with receiving a lot, knowing where the strike zone is and how much I need to personally move my glove according to this batter to get a strike. And sometimes using uh, uh, cues or not cues necessarily, but markers on my own body is key, right? So I know based off of where, how I am in my squat that the top of my knee is the bottom of the strike zone for most hitters my same age, right? So a standard guy in the minor leagues, right? If they're all six feet or whatever, five foot 10, I don't know what they are these days, but a good a good range of, or a good idea is if you see a catcher squatting, right? If you're watching the hitter and the catcher squatting behind him, the top of the catcher's knee is usually the height of the knee of the hitter. So that's mm -hmm. a good uh, frame of reference for the catcher, right? I only have to move my glove to just above my knee when I'm framing a low pitch. And, and the same goes for, right? If I'm set up down the middle, usually it's my shoulders or somewhere within my shoulders on my body to have that reference not only based off the hitter, but also myself. I feel like that helps catchers understand that um, and, and cleans up their receiving. So that's I could talk receiving for hours and hours and hours. I love it, right? I feel like I, this is my favorite thing to talk about is that. And um, again, I like that it makes sense when you think of it. But the hinge thing for me is big. Like I think when we're just we're just framing from the shoulder, we're not able to cut corner, uh, cut angles as much. Right. If, in my brain, when we're looking at when we're thinking about receiving, everything starts center, center of the strike zone, right out of the pitcher's hand. Mm -hmm. It starts center and it moves away from the strike zone. So if my hinge can bring it back to center without much movement, right, instead of my shoulder doing it, and now it's creating more movement. Um, I don't have to extend as far. It doesn't have to be as jerky, and I can catch it on its route outside of the zone by just hinging my elbow in. If that makes sense, does it make sense? Because if it doesn't make sense to you, it won't make sense to a listener. You're so you're yeah. You're saying that your hinge is your elbow, your other one. So as you go with, not necessarily just my shoulder, I'm also going to go with my with my elbow to allow me to, like you said, catch the angle of the ball as it, yes. it comes across the as right. it comes as it, across as it, the it, Right, as it's going out away from the strike zone, right? right? When it's say, angling nope. from center and going away from the strike zone, I'm going to bring it back to the strike zone with the hinge of my elbow. And my and shoulder. Shoulder's involved too, right? It's just not as big of a shoulder motion. So with both of them combined, we can make it seem like it's less of a motion. Mm -hmm. Now, will you I work on those kind, of drill, those kind of drills where you're like, you're trying to, how do you, how do you, how do you help teach a person an understanding of catching the angles catching the angles. so usually this was another marker thing right when when i'm set up on the inside or outside part of the plate usually the the reference i'm using is center chest right my center right. of my body the center of my chest is on the corner so i'm really only framing balls that are what like three or four inches with outside of that if we think of it right okay. if we can get a little bit more we get a little bit more but we're really just working from center chest out to and your left could, shoulder. We could start, right, if I'm on the inside corner to my left shoulder. If I'm outside corner, it's to my right shoulder. Um, so um, when we're cutting those corners, right, thinking of that angle of not just extending my arm forward, but extending my arm back to the plate 
I tell them extend it back towards center chest. If that makes sense. So I'm, I'm framing a ball that's just two inches outside of center chest. I'm going to, instead of just extending my arm straight forward, I'm going to extend it and bring it back towards center chest to cut the angle, right? So it's not just going straight forward. It's a hard one. Receiving is a hard one to explain when nobody sees what's happening. But uh, I think, I mean, if, if, if that doesn't make sense, I feel like if you go, if you kind of walk yourself through it, then it starts to make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think what you're saying is that's like the, the shoulder with the, with the hinge. I think even just understanding that whole thing and how it could move with everyone, even for a person to see that, I, I think that's, I think it's pretty valuable. I just never heard it. I never heard it as like uses like the, the, the three hinges, you know, and you really got to think about yeah. too. Like it's also your wrist too, you know, like right. Right. Your wrist is included as well. Yeah. 100%. Our third, our third uh, joint would be the wrist, right. And how we could help manipulate that pitch. Um, I mean, I love pre-pitch movement. Um, it's been around for a long time. I've heard people say that it's something new. Uh, I was taught it when I was, uh, I don't even know, five years, five years old, six years old. So it's been around a long time, but I think, um, I think pre-pitch movement, again, it has its reasons and not always do the young catchers know why it exists, but I think if you know why it exists, then, then you do it. But it really changes again, the perception to the umpire. So if I don't have a pre-pitch movement, for instance, for those who don't know the name of it is when catchers go down to the ground with their glove before they receive the ball. So some people go down to the ground. Um, I am more of a, just relax your glove person. Um, but it's just the idea of I show target, I relax my glove. And now if my pitcher doesn't hit the target that I had set for them, I could go out and catch the ball and it won't seem like it was not where it was supposed to be to the umpire. So if I just show target and I have no pre-pitch movement and my pitcher doesn't hit the target, it's a jerky motion to go where the ball is. It's an obvious motion to go where the ball is. Um, and it may still be a strike, but to the umpire in that split second, he sees, he sees too much movement. He sees the movement going away from where it was supposed to be, um, and he they may call it a ball. So um, I think it sets us up to receive very well. It sets us up to be smoother, more sneaky receivers. Uh, when we have a pre-pitch movement. But of course, it has to be done with good timing. If you present your glove back up early, then you took away the purpose of pre-pitch movement. Um, so it's a timing thing. So that with pre-pitch, that's where your wrist is really involved too. It allows you to really use your thumb and your wrist to get underneath the ball and just manipulate the pitch by that much more. Mm-hmm. I like just like flex the firm. Just something like that, just basically pre yeah. pitch. Just because I think even like what you noticed, uh, I always tell kids a lot of too is uh, you know, like boxers, boxers' hands aren't always clenched firm, you know, like they're right. flat, they're they're relaxed before they're they would move yeah. quicker and then it'll firm up when the when it comes in. Essentially, just like hitting, you know, have a loose yeah. grip. Definitely, yeah, and it allows you to use the hinge too, right? If we go back to the hinge, the hinge allows you to work against the force of the ball, right? So. If, if I don't, right, if I'm locked into my shoulder is my only thing I frame with and my arm's locked out and this ball comes with a little bit more velo than I'm used to or it has a little bit more movement outside of the zone that, I'm, that I was ready for, um, then it potentially, I can't work against the force of it as well and it kind of takes my glove out of the zone at times. So if I could incorporate my elbow and, and hinge it, right, use that force back towards the zone, I think you're going to get rid of those balls that sometimes you lose on the corners. Mm. 
I guess that, that kind of comes down to some timing, timing things too. You yeah, know, like for said, sure. You're, you're able to what you're able to catch it out there. You get stuck. <sighs> Typically, you're probably just too early. You know, yeah. just reaching. You know, trying Definitely. to get out there. That's the, that's one thing I I have noticed. I guess recently is like I guess with and it might just be with the certain movements things like you start not to see people like back and they like when they would stick it. You'd really stick it. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're not getting a lot of that. It's just like it's just trying right to, right in here. But I guess uh, what you're trying to talk about is like when you incorporate the three joints, you're going to get to that more of a full you can right yeah for sure you can but it gives you the option to so if the ball was if you need to manipulate it more if you need to cut more of an angle then you have your entire arm right the entire hinge the extension of your arm to do so but you don't always have to get there that's based on where the pitch was right you can get a pitch that's a little bit further out of the zone by extending more through it um but it just gives you the option to do so Right, so I'm not big on just always sticking the pitch. My arm's completely extended. Right, but maybe the ball broke a little bit more. Or maybe I have to just manipulate a little bit more than I than than you the catch time the angle before. before it gets out of the zone. Is what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah. So yes. I mean, because my 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 thought also went to that is thinking about you know your your Oakland A's guy. You know, you're you're roving instructor with the A's, and you know this, and then you're you just went to camp. You know, with with twelve year old girls. You know, or baseball, just baseball players, and I'm sure at 98, it's gonna be hard to get out there and catch that angle. You know, with with a full motion and using all your joints, where you just gotta, yeah, you might not be able to get there. But a 12 year old, you know, would have that time. You know, I'm just wondering. But you have that time if is. you have the time if you set yourself up to have the time, right? If you have the time, if you read the ball right, if you anticipate, if you start anticipating the location of the pitch. So I only don't only call pre-pitch movement, I call it tracking the ball, right? So I am setting myself up to be able to receive this ball. So if I start reading the ball out of the hand at whatever velocity, right? As they get stronger, you get stronger. You get better mentally. You could, your perceptions are different. Your, your eyes are getting strong. Everything's getting better on you as you get older and you get to a higher level. So I just made that made me think of something else. But so I think that you will also grow. Right. And and it's just about setting yourself up to be able to do the what, whether it's 99 or whether it's 62. Mm -hmm. Right. Because at 62, if you're catching 62, you're probably like 12 years old. So you're less developed. You're less physically strong. You're less aware of how to move your own body. And when you're catching 99 and you're 23, you're way more aware of moving your body. You're way more perceptive to uh, balls out of the hand, movement on the pitches, right? Rotations on the ball. So I think that it you just adapt with the pitchers. So, but it's it comes with practice. Like I'm not just saying it happens by by chance, right? So um, it's about giving yourself the time. So when you're in that pre-pitch movement, you're tracking the ball either in or you're tracking the ball down, right? Wherever you were set up. So you're tracking the, to make the adjustment, to be adjustable. So um, when I'm relaxed, right, and I'm reading the ball, I'm not just waiting here and I see the balls coming in. I'm not just going to be like a late receiving of the inside corner. I am going to start to move myself into a position where I've tracked the ball going in, right, taking a bigger, having a bigger break. I'm making the adjustment and now all I'm doing is extending through it. Hmm. Obviously, in me explaining it, it sounds like I have so much time. You don't have time, but right. with time, you learn to read the bit, the ball out of the hand. You learn to make those adjustments quicker. Yeah, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering how like, how do you help people? Because like especially with the thumb up, thumb you know 
thumb up technique, how are you helping people get to the glove side pitch? You know, like that will be the hardest one, you know what I mean? To be able to get, you know, I guess just yeah. the efficient pattern of being able to take my pocket to the ball, you know, just to kind of. Right. Just for young, kind of help for young catchers, I do a drill with the flat glove that the infielders use. Mm-hmm. And I, for young catchers, I like just like to exaggerate motions. It's really just about body awareness. If you ask a 12-year-old to, to move their wrist uh, kind of like athletically or side to side, they don't know how to control it. It's mind-blowing to me because you just did that naturally. You're just like, I just, I don't know. I thought I could always do this. But I can't. And, I, and, I, and I'm saying this based off of all of the youth catchers that have had do certain drills and they can't, they can't move their wrist, right, with kind of like freely i would say or and that goes with all body parts right they don't really know how to control themselves in certain ways so a lot of my lessons with younger catchers is learning to control your body movements how do i make this happen so one of the drills i do is a flat glove catcher's drill flat sorry that flat glove infield flat glove i give it to the catcher and i exaggerate the motion so i have them start elbow up with their left their glove side on their glove shoulder if, if they're left, right, if they're right-handed, which most catchers are, they're going to go left uh, left arm, elbow up, flat glove at the shoulder, facing the shoulder. And I'm going to throw a ball to, the, to that location. And all I want them to do is turn their wrist, open the glove towards the ball, and extend through it. And all I'm doing right there is teaching them how to control this, the hinge the adjustment, hinging towards the plate, right? Because a lot of them will hinge away from the plate or hinge straight forward. So they learn in that second to hinge towards the plate. They learn wrist awareness. And then we shut it, like we condense it from there. We make it more realistic. So, I mean, I'll, I'll challenge them so that now they're showing target, relaxing glove, tracking the ball, getting out there and doing it. Um, and then we'll go, obviously, regular glove and stuff like that. But it's really just about body awareness. Um, when we teach the inside pitch, we're teaching, um, elbow goes up, thumb comes down and we're working with that same hinge, thumb under glove, thumb under ball technique with the elbow hinge. Um, I'm, I think that we can't lock ourselves. So I'm not telling you to show target with an elbow up, which some people do teach. I think that that original setup locks us into that position. And again, my favorite word of today is adjust being adjustable. So it, if I am locked into something, my elbows up high, I cannot get a pitch that's going to break early. I'm not setting myself up to be able to do, adjust to that. So I like to teach showing target with a neutral elbow, right? And then we can adjust to that. I track the pitch in, my elbow goes up, my arm moves up, and now I'm working back the ball back to the zone. Or if the ball's way out of the zone, I can just go out and reach for it, and I'm able to still get that ball. Um. I, so it's it's just making those adjustments, right? Like mid pitch, which is part of it too. Some of them can't can't do that yet. The step by step at the youth levels, where they're starting low and making a pitch adjustment, but that just comes with repetition um, yeah. and and finding drills to to teach them the feel. If if my drill doesn't work for a catcher, I'm trying to find a new way to teach them the right to teach them this. A new, I'm big right now. My job as a coach is obviously not to stay in the loop with all this information and keep developing myself and to, in order to develop players and be better for them. But 
it's not just about my knowledge, but also my words, right? How can I explain the same things a million different ways? So I'm big on that. If a catcher doesn't understand what I'm telling them, it's me, it's not them. So I need to find a new way to explain it. So, or a new drill for them to do for them to feel it. Cause everyone learns differently. Everyone understands things differently. I was like 32 or something, 31 at the back end of my career. And somebody said I'd been hitting and I loved practicing. I loved playing the game. So I wasn't somebody that just like sat, you know, whatever came to the game or whatnot. I was, I was thinking about all of this at all times. And when I was 31, somebody said something that I was like, click that clicked. Right. It mm. took, it took me that long for this one person just to say something this one particular way and it made it click and it just helped me make an adjustment. So that's why it's, it's so like, I, I'm big on this. Like I take it to heart to find a million ways to explain the same thing. Yeah. I think that's really key for sure. Um, tell, tell son of a great coach for sure. Um, oh, man. Well, you've had enough. <laughs> you've had enough people say so. We're all it's just. <laughs> um, oh man, uh, I know one thing because I know we were texting about this as uh, like leadership and things like that. You said these are things that you just love to do. I guess my question is with you is like, is 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 it a, is it a matter of you loving it like personally uh, w- within your own development or like because I'm wondering like how like how much time do you have with your team and things like that to kind of to talk about leadership and those kind of things that you do, like, or is it mostly just like little events that you get and do you, do you get to spend much time? And then how do you and grow leadership and what do you really like about it? Well, um, I, I, we don't get much time together for the women's national team on a normal year. We might spend four weeks together. If that. Okay. so, um, in, in the last few events we've had, like, I guess the most like uh, the most recent event that was like normal like timeline. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple that just were like last minute or whatever. Um, we had uh, an open tryout in January, so you get like four days there. Um, but that's a mix of people, right? That's a lot of people. We're doing a whole selection process, right. and then we had a we cut it. We cut it like our final tryouts usually have forty people, so we have a forty person tryout. And we had that like three months later and we had that for about a week, which is better. Cause even though it's not the final 20 or the final team, it's still 40 strong players that you're able to develop for the future, right? You get an extra 20 that you could potentially develop for later. So I focus on development development in those events as well. It's not just a tryout. Um, I really like, I want them all to get better so that it makes the game better so that the best 20 have 20 that are just underneath them in, in ability or whatever and level competing against them and making them better. So I think it's important to make everyone better. Awesome. Um, and then I think that, so we, and then from there we have like, we go back, whatever this year, we particularly, we went back home and then we got together with the team, the team and we had a week prior to playing internationally. So it's not much time at all. Um, yeah. We stay in touch. The The women are incredible. They, they, they love it, right? They're, they have careers. Like we have architects, we have uh, FBI agents, we have firefighters, you know, like we have some incredible women um, and they find the time to train on their own dime and their own time, right? They have families and everything like that. So there's, it's a special group and I'm very lucky to be able to lead them. 
Uh, but they, we started this thing when I was playing called, we call the baseball cations. I don't know if they still call it that, but I keep calling it that. And it's just <laughs> when we all get together uh, in a city that some of us are, we like a lot of us are close to. So one particular year, they went down to Miami um, and six of us trained together for, you know, a weekend, a long weekend or whatnot. So they'd still do these things. They'd get together in Atlanta. Uh, they have a group in California and stuff like that where they're just finding time to to spend together, to get to know each other uh, off the field, on the field, and just get each other better. Uh, so uh, it's it's we I think most of our uh, my leadership and my involvement with them, a lot of the, some of them I played with. So some of them experienced me as a player. Um, and I was in a, I was a catcher. I was a veteran on the team. So it was, uh, uh, they saw me as a leader at that point. Um, and they're very respectful, even though we were teammates at one point of myself being a manager now. So, um, I think they know that I am all in it and I'm in it for them, right? I want them to have success. And so I think that's what, what keeps this strong. And I think that's what gets them performing at their top level, Right, they know that I it, that I have the best in, intentions for them, and I want them to succeed. So, um, and I'm all about the team. Like I, if it doesn't help the team, it's not happening. Right? If somebody doesn't help the team, you're not joining us. Like, uh, it doesn't matter if you're the best hitter or whatnot. It's about the the overall, um, the overall success of the team. So, um, I I try to on my side I try to be a leader just by staying in touch with them and keeping personal relationships with them. Um we are all people and we all matter. So and then on their side I think they take ownership of being like veterans. Um they want the best for the team as well. So they really hold each other to high standards. They have uh high standards for the young ones that come in. Um and they're not willing to to give up on on you know traditions on the culture of the team on success uh just for you know personality or whatnot so or to fit somebody's personality so they really hold each other to some some high standards so and they're not scared to talk talk it up right and and they all are leaders which is important because everyone leads in a different way so everyone in some way is a is a leader on that team i think that's it's the same as every team but absolutely yeah. Yeah, the, it's. I'll tell you. I'm gonna tell you a quick story to give yeah, you the it. feel of the women's women's national team. All right, here we go. This is the vibe that was always happened. So, I, like I said, I'm very lucky to lead them. Uh, very passionate, very uh, invested in in this. And and if you you don't, I don't know if you know this, but we sometimes only play every other year. So they'll stay involved. They'll stay in shape uh, for a world cup. That's not going to be here for two, you know, another, uh, another year. So, uh, right now we don't know when our next one will be, but anyway, so women's national team always gives hundred percent when they get on the, on the field. Like I've never had to ask the women, the veterans to play with more intensity. It's mind blowing when you see it. Right. Cause I've been in, in pro ball and minor league level, and that's not necessarily the case. It's not, and they're getting paid to play the game. So, um, so women's national team, they came on a baseball vacation to Miami. I have six players out there and we try to capitalize on any resource we can get. So we don't always have them. So this particular high school is letting me practice with them this year while I was training. It was awesome. Um, I was like a high school boy for three months. It was incredible. I'd go to their practice every day after work, um, and spend four hours out there with them, but they let me use the facility. And so 
this particular weekend, six of us were there using the cages. There was a father on the field hitting his ground ball, uh, ground balls to his son. And so I was like, let me take advantage of this. I said, hey, sir, do you need a first baseman? And he's like, so your son can throw across the field. And he's like, sure, sure, yeah, put her out there. So my first baseman, who's our, our leader, our, our team captain, veteran, she gets out there. And uh, and uh, then a few minutes, we'll be like, do you, do you mind hitting my third baseman some balls? So my third baseman goes out there, and he's hitting ground balls to my third baseman. So a few minutes pass by. He hits a ball up the middle to his son that's playing shortstop. The son doesn't die for it. He lets it go. The dad says, oh, you would have dove in for that in the game, right? And the, dad, and the kid's like, yeah, yeah, I would have gotten that. Okay. So am I allowed to curse here or not? It's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to curse. And you can bleep it out if you want. Okay. So uh, next hit. I mean, like, perfect timing. Next ball, he hits it to the third baseman, up the line. She dives, gets up, throws it to first base. Next ball, he hits it in the four hole to the first baseman. She dives, gets up, runs it back to the bag. The dad says, oh, wow. And she goes, I don't got time to wait for the fucking game. <laughs> right? Like, that's the intensity that they play with. They yeah. take every opportunity that's given to them, and they take it and do the most with it. And I can't ask for more. My ginormous dog just Whoa, got the- great day. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He's not allowed on the couch. We just took it away oh. from him. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big old dog, too. Yeah, he's huge. He's Man. Massive. Yeah. Bud, go back to your bed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls. Nice. He weighs 160 pounds. Bubba, go oh back to your bed. gosh. What a <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. But yeah, that's that's the intensity that they they bring, and it's it really it's incredible. <laughs> so Ooh. when these when our coach the male coaches that have never experienced it come out to trials, uh, usually they come in kind of open minded, but they don't really know what they're gonna get. Maybe skeptical some of them, and then they get that, and they're like, "What is this?" Right? Yeah. Like they're like this is amazing like right that's that's what you want that's, as a that's coach it. that's what you want that's all you can ask that's for. what you want right like that they're locked in like you tell them something they take it in they go do it they don't there's i no... can t- yep i mean i i could say like just the experience i've had in high school like i was a high school coach for 11 years and you're just talking to coaches that i know and have a lot of respect for you know you you know guys that just run good programs so then these guys would run they coach girls and it would just ask like because he had coached i remember uh they coached some boys and they said the biggest difference in boys and girls, you know what you're going to get with the girls. Like you're going to get it. You're going to, they're going to bring it for the most part. You know, like that's the thing with the, with the boys. Sometimes it's just, you just get guys that just, you know, for whatever the case is. Um, that's what, one thing you definitely do see, you see most of the time that you're, you're going to get what you, you know, the most like they're going to reach their potential. They're going to give you everything that they got. Yeah. That's the difference that I've seen at the high school level. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. Oh man! Yeah, even if we we just had the camp, I was just out for MLB. We had Cliff Floyd coaching. We had Latroy Hawkins. We had uh, Luke Collier coaching, and then the women, um, some of the women um, that are big names as well. We have Bianca Smith from the Red Sox. It's one of the female coaches on the minor league system. We had Ronnie Gajownik that coaches the D backs. She just got a coaching job with them. She was a former women's national team player. Uh, we had Amanda Sartors, who's the strength and conditioning coach for the Miami Marlins. I'm going to name them all because they're all important. I can't just leave them out. So So, you do what you want with it, but they're all important. And then Alex was there. 
August B was uh, my assistant in 2019. Uh, I've worked a lot of MLB camps with her as well. She also was a former player on the women's national team prior to me joining. Um, Maggie Meidlinger is currently still a women's national team player. Um, she's an architect on the side just by, you know, for fun. And then we have Kelsey Whitmore, uh, also still a um, women's national team player. She's a center fielder pitcher for us. She played with the Sonoma Stompers, um, and she's she's a baller. She's, like, legit, right? She's locked in. So uh, we had this incredible coaching staff, um, and LaTroy was – the first day we're talking about, you know, pitching and having enough pitching for the entire week or whatnot, four games. And he's like, oh, we got to be careful with arms and, like, you know, just just be careful because we're not – we might run out of pitching. And, we're, and I and I didn't understand his perspective. I was like, no, 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 we'll be fine. Like, we'll be fine. We'll be careful with their arms. We'll have a pitch count. Um, but we'll be fine. And he's like, nah, what if, like, one of them comes up to us and says that they don't feel like pitching anymore? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And he's like, what do you mean that doesn't happen? And he he does all the, the boys camp. And I was like, that's not going to happen. Like, their arm will fall off before they let us, like, tell them they can't pitch. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna have to stop them, right? And he's like, "What?" He couldn't believe it. Like he, it was. He's like, "He's like, no, they don't." You mean that if they have three perfect innings, they don't say my arm is sore, coach. I don't want to go back in. They're like, "No, that would never be a thing, right?" So anyway, the one of the one of the games. So he was like, "Oh, that's not the same." So that's how I didn't understand his perspective. But I was like, "Oh, we'll be fine. We were fine." To go along with that story, one of the catchers on my team was. I didn't know this. She has asthma. She's having an, she's, it, the game's happening. She's having like an asthma attack. She looks at the, the coordinator of the event and she says, Liz, I need my inhaler. And she's like, <laughs> right. She's there back there still like squatting, like going for the next pitch. And Liz is like, oh shoot. So she goes, gets the inhaler, brings her back. And I go, Hey, like I can take you out of the game. Like, don't worry. Like we get, put somebody in. She goes, no, no coach. I'll be fine. I'll be fine, coach. I got it. I did my inhaler. I'll be fine. She's willing to have like collapsed lungs before she gets taken out of that game. So, yeah, you love it. Love the intensity. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. awesome. No, yeah, that's the best. Yeah, it is. It is. And like you said, that's that's all you can ask for as a coach. It's awesome. Yeah, people all definitely can learn learn a lot from that. For sure. Well, this has been all. I mean, I, I don't want to tape you too, but it's already been an hour and a half. I mean, we've been on here for since eight thirty now. <laughs> I told you I could talk about things for a long time. Yeah, that's all I right. That's all right. This is what it was. <laughs> it was a good conversation. That's what we said. That's all we could promise for. Like that's all we we're trying to have is a good conversation. So I, I really that's appreciate right. it. It was awesome. Um, well, any so anything else to, to know more, talk more, catching? What's the best way to reach out to you? Maybe some things that you're putting out. What's the best way to get in touch with you about touch more about talk more about this? Yeah, I mean, I I have an Instagram, Veronica yes. O Alvarez. That's uh, I don't I'm not necessarily like a drills poster on there. Okay. But if you send me messages or whatever you want, and we start a conversation. Then I'm down. Okay. Um, you said it's just it's just Veronica Alvarez. It's Veronica O Alvarez, the letter O. Great. Um, on Instagram, I have a Twitter, but I'm not very good at it. Yeah. So I go on, and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I I don't even know. I see like ten things that I was potentially tagged in or something i don't even know how, what it's called so but instagram is the best way to reach me then we can start a conversation um but yeah i love i love talking catching i love it at all levels um 
I obviously have a lot of opinions about it, as you heard for the last hour and a half. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, I'm open to anything. Well, that's great. That's it's awesome. I, I appreciate it. It was really good. Really good. Yeah. I've been able to meet some good guys, right? Good guys, good women on in this game. So I appreciate them all. But um, I love, I love, you know, the guys are, the women. I we known each other for so long and we get along and all these things. But it's fun to see these guys. Uh, um, I don't know, open up and and see and build relationships with them, and we get to share so much uh, knowledge back and forth, which is one of my favorite things. So. That's something I get and I didn't talk about really, but within the A's organization, uh, I really love is that they do a lot of coaching development. I feel like the people there really love the game of baseball and developing players. So uh, there are constantly conversations happening about the game at all times. Like it's fun. It's fun to be at games uh, with with the guys, with the coaches and just having conversations about baseball, like you said, right? We're sitting in the dugout while the game's – evolving right and we're talking about the situations and and how we could be better for the players how the players can be better how we could be better um so it's it's a really awesome environment to be a part of uh, but i've gotten that with all the guys at the usa um camps that i've been involved with as well and the women are the same the women are all talking baseball at all times so it's fun to to be able to have all these experiences and and bring it back to the ones that haven't been given the opportunities that i've been given Uh, But it it really creates a good environment where we can all get better. Where we can all get better. Coach Alvarez, just thought how she put it there at the end. Just trying for us all to get better. That's what this is all about. So it's just, um, it's funny how people come into your life and being able to have these relationships and as Sheets would say is win the people people war win the people battle and through this and the relationships you know through RJ Farrell Brian Madsen Tanner Vesley Wes Brooks started with Wes Butch Chavin all these guys he led me to Veronica and and she'd be a great guest for the show and just being able to talk some baseball with her talk more specific lot of details with catching today I haven't really got into a lot of details with a lot with many guests and you know willing to talk some baseball and talk pit talk framing talk blocking talk throwing and um, just a great opportunity to learn and and it's okay for people to have opinions about the one knee down. It's okay to hang your hat on certain things. And that's what's great about the game is that one person can be successful and we all can be successful in different ways with different philosophies. But you got to own it. You have to own your, hang your hat on something and do the best you can with what you have. And I even just love how she also talked about just she's trying to find a million ways to say the same thing to get across a specific point. That's what good coaches do. They find different ways of saying things, and you have that by having conversations with coaches. And even though you might not agree with certain things, or you might do it a little different, you're still open to talk about it and maybe say something. But I love the logic too behind the 
the different stances and doing things for a certain reason. I think there's really value in there. Um, with you know, most guys are, you know, we have no problem standing up when guy wants a high fastball. But what about going to one knees down stance when we need to be get the ball down low, or pitchers dominating the lower half of the zone and we got to try to bring it up, change the perspective. I, I think those logical things are really smart, and I think that's what good catchers do. And because I think at the end of the day too, like the catchers have to be able to read the pitcher and manage the staff, and that's all part of it. So great stuff by Coach Alvarez. And uh, I'm glad we got a chance to connect, and we've been working on it here for a couple weeks, and it was nice to be able to do that. She's been a hectic schedule, and she was just at the 12 U trials and helping out with them. So I can't thank her enough for taking some time, and even in different time zones and everything. So, and again, thank you guys for hanging on with us. Thank you, Will Miner. Thank the guys at Netting Pros for, but again, special thank you to Veronica Alvarez for coming on the podcast and giving up her time. To do that, follow her on Instagram at Veronica O. Alvarez. Check out USA Baseball website. Keep following them. See how we can get more people involved in the great game of baseball. So until next week, keep getting better.